Welcome to this week's Hotel Analyst podcast, your 20 minutes or so of uh, education on what's important around the hotel space from us here at Hotel Analyst uh, this week as normal. Uh, we have the two of us together. I'm Chris Bound, the editor at Hotel Analyst, and I'm joined as usual by Andrew Sankus, the editorial director at Hotel Analyst. Um, and we're going to start this week by taking a look at what's going on in and around the, the European hotel market. Uh, where it seems that uh, there's there's plenty of cash sitting around, uh, but perhaps not so many big deals uh, in the offing this year. Um, too many people are sitting on what they've got, uh, and the much promised, much hoped for opportunities of distressed sales are really not taking place in any volume whatsoever. And uh, the worry is amongst those who'd like to do deals with, uh, with distressed properties that, that actually very, very few are going to come to the market. Um, we've been watching over the, what, the last year or more as um, agents and, and investors have kind of wondered when this opportunity would start to come, when there'd be some genuine distress. It seems there's been very little and now more and more people are thinking, well, perhaps there won't be any in the end. Um, we, as we kind of mull this over and we listened into a webinar which uh, Christie and co organised, uh, which, which also focused on this and other topics around European hotels, um, the irony is that one of the biggest deals we've just seen um, in Europe was not a sale, but actually just a, a change of leaseholder. Uh, with uh, landlord Covivio switching 31 of its hotels uh, in France from Accor Flags to uh, the uh, budget rival B&B. So we may end up just seeing more kind of deals involving switching, not involving buying and selling this year, as uh, the those who'd like to do value-add end up sitting around rather frustrated. Yeah, I think anybody that's been listening to what we've been saying for the last couple of years will know that we've said there ain't going to be much distress this is not the 1990s um the likelihood is well let's be clear um there's no distress pricing there's lots and lots of distress i mean it's it's yeah you know this is the, 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 by far the worst trading environment we've ever seen in the sector so it, it is on several magnitudes worse than anything we've ever seen so there's loads of distress but not distressed pricing and uh, it's unlikely to there's going to be a lot of distress Stress pricing as uh, as well. So, um, in terms of deal volumes, they've been pretty given. You know the nature of the downturn, how how severe it was. I think they've been pretty robust, really. Uh, HVS reckoned deal volumes in twenty one were about two thirds of what they were in twenty nineteen, and even in twenty twenty, they're about a third of what they were in twenty nineteen. So that's not you know that, that, that that's not sort of everything shutting down um and the pricing of these deals has been actually going up um hvs said the average price per room went up 15 percent in 2021 on 2020 so quite an extraordinary i mean obviously it depends on the the, the types of deals etc that have gone on in this you know um to get this then there could be all sorts of other explanations for the this particular outcome from the statistics but nonetheless what we're not seeing i think is quite clear um is distressed pricing out there um and people are realizing look the, the, this sector is going into growth it's set for strong growth we don't need to take a heavy hit on our pricing um 
and that's certainly what you got chris when you were were, were going into that and uh, yeah. you know talking to and listening to that that webinar and talking to the people you were talking to for the story mm. now it if we look um, a bit further out and say, you know, where are we going to go um, in the next couple of years? Um, the question that comes up is how do you repair these distressed balance sheets? How do you get a fix for that? How do you get a cure for these balance sheets? Well, there's going to be a new influx of um, of debt coming in. Um, I think our next item, we're going to start talking about the debt markets in particular. Um, but um uh, well, the, uh, uh, an item in this podcast anyway um, i think the next item's covid isn't it chris mm, um, yes. um yeah. yeah um but it, it, the fix for that um in terms of the the, the the these distressed balance sheets i think it has to be new injections of equity and it's it's really going to be a number of restructurings now i think there's going to be some portfolios of hotels which simply aren't ever going to make it and they're gonna there will be an element of distress eventually coming out of that but especially with inflation as it is at the moment it's not going to be that visible i would suggest um what we haven't seen are any of the sort of good companies being put um so if we look back to what happened immediately after the 2008 crash um i cited the example of city in mint portfolio that blackstone bought for 600 million in late 2011 now this was a fundamentally good business but it breached a few covenants and uh lender lloyds needed to uh, shore up its balance sheet so it it pushed a sale through to get that cash back um we've not seen any sort of transactions like that this time around so we've just got those sort of delayed distressed situations where money isn't obviously still available um and those are yet to come out and i think they're going to come out probably not even this year but uh, it'll be next year and the year after that that these things will start coming back um because then, then there's going to be the, there's the there's the volume then of bidders if something does come to market it means the price doesn't um, doesn't yeah well i think the bidders are there now to yeah. be fair i mean i think you've got you know there's so much money sitting around it's one of the reasons we've given long given for why we've not seen distressed pricing there's so much money sitting around that uh, um it'll come in and, and snap it up but uh, um you know even there they're, they're looking at the future and they don't want to buy something at you know um 100 um you know i mean no distress and um 100p on the pound if if in actual fact you know then in a couple of years time they're going to have to take the hit themselves so mm. that doesn't make any sense whatsoever so they will wait for that to come through and and it will i think ultimately come through but it's going to take a, a bit of a while to to get there now i went on to um look at the sort of wider macro picture in my um written bits for um hotel analyst perspective which people can find online um and really i was looking at uh, well where are we in terms of cycles because there's this kind of thesis abroad at the moment that we're heading into the 1970s we're heading into a period of uh, high inflation and low growth i'm just not sure we are i looking at it and i 
put forward a number of reasons why I think this is much more like the late 1940s. So I, I looked at uh, some sort of dugouts or historic economic statistics, and we go back to 1946, um, and inflation in the US hit almost 20 percent um it was a bit lower in europe because i mean the you know we had devastated economies um, um following the war but even in the uk it was seven uh, percent it spiked up but interest rates remained low for the next uh, two plus decades and i think it's quite likely that although interest rates are going to go up a bit and sort of normalize if you like they're still on historic trends going to be remarkably low we have to remember that prior to 2008 the bank of england base rate never went below two percent um and here we are say talking about all oh, shocking interest rate rises to to point to three quarters of a percent well you know there's still quite a bit we can add to that we can double more than double interest rates nearly triple interest rates and they'll still be at historic lows really so i think there's plenty of room to push them up a bit which i think needs to happen anyway to get that normalization um and still be at lows and i think that could still sustain very strong economic growth so here's hoping it's the late 19 you know and of course in the, the 1940s unfortunately you had a devastating european war to, to contend with as well um fortunately i don't think the ukrainian invasion is anywhere near as bad as that but it certainly we've we've got that other feature in 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 the mix as well but i think coming out of this i'm hoping um that my thesis that it is the late 1940s rather than the the 1970s proves correct now uh, let's do the uh, journalistic equivalent of uh, phileas fogg and uh, pop around the world in uh, 80 sentences uh, we're going to take a quick look at uh, kind of where the world is with covid um, and uh, it's what's interesting is that uh, it's not all over yet everywhere but uh, at least in the, in the west it certainly feels um, across Europe as if things are starting to return back to some kind of normal um, many places now have removed any travel restrictions removed mask mandates and um, things seem to be picking up the business business seems to be uh, increasing and more and more face-to-face -face meetings are taking place more and more travel and all that sort of good thing but while perhaps the western europe and uh, and and the united states are in a good position with this uh, the same cannot be said of what's going on in uh, certain parts of asia um, particularly uh, china and hong kong uh, areas where there's still substantial restrictions on travel and trade as the authorities there look to manage COVID in a world where they've got a far lower uh, percentage of the population vaccinated and they're, they're man trying to manage it with some kind of a lockdown policy. Um, but talking of lockdown policies, uh, even our friends on the other side of the globe, the Australians have finally declared they're going to see an end to uh, to COVID and a return to, to normal. Um, we wondered when it was going to happen, but they finally realised that uh, they are in a good enough position with, with population and vaccinations to to start opening up again. So you never know before too long, we may be able to freely fly in and out of Australia and New Zealand once more. So uh, a kind of very mixed picture. Um, been a bit, a bit like the tortoise and the hare really the uh, the early early advantage in covid appeared to be in china which where it looked like it was returning back to normal uh, but uh, certainly in that part of the world things are now faltering and it seems like um it's western europe and the us which is substantially looking like it's back to normal um 
in, instead. Of course, the irony is that actually, uh, certainly in certain parts of Western Europe, um, the actual rates of, of COVID infection are, are reaching new highs. Um, but thankfully, thanks to uh, very substantial numbers of the population having had vaccinations, those infections are not proving to be quite as serious as they would have been 18 months ago. Yes. Um, well, I removed your question mark from your headline, Chris. Ah. Yeah, I mean, uh, your your headline, which was farewell COVID. Ah, question mark or not. Um, and I said, yes, farewell <laughs> COVID. <laughs> it, it, it's gone. Yeah. Um, um, it, well, in the process of going, um, I mean, I think it clearly has really through much of Europe now. Mm. Um and North America, thankfully, um, and it's it's we've got the last few bits of restrictions going. And in the UK now, we are what I can't think of hardly anything we've got. Um, um, I think we've mentioned this before. There's bits of the UK, Wales, notably, mm-hmm, Chris, yeah. um, where they they seem to be hanging on. Um, when, when when are your masks going in indoors in Wales? I, Do you I know? don't know. I don't know. <laughs> no, as you say there nobody's paying any attention yeah, anyway no. it's a bit like a, it's a bit like the masks on the underground in london you know right. uh, people just aren't wearing them actually yeah. um and and you know it, it's increasing just looks more and more ridiculous this stuff um and it's interesting your point in terms of zero covid not looking so clever um now as we're coming out of this and indeed that is the case um certainly um, I think locking down early at the beginning um, seems to have you know preserved life um, much better but in terms of coming out um, and indeed during the, the process of, of, of lockdowns um, there's a lot to be said for um, actually being a lot more liberal um, and the contrast here is sort of Norway and Sweden I think so Norway actually now is the first country in Europe to end all Covid restrictions it did so on the 12th of February mm. um, but it was one of the first to initiate a lockdown it shut schools and leisure and everything else um, all went went um, and included um, in introducing quarantine all started on the 12th of March 2020 I mean we were still partying away in um, the UK then uh, <laughs> what, uh, what, what was the what was the big horse racing it was Cheltenham wasn't it I think we we managed to have just before we decided we were going to do lockdown and uh, indeed our government carried on partying throughout as it as it turns <laughs> out but but what we do see is that Norway achieved one of the lowest levels of excess deaths and I think I think you have to look at excess deaths because if you start looking at uh, um, reported COVID everybody reports it in a different way and you get get into all sorts of data issues there so looking at excess deaths um, it's a much clearer way of viewing who was successful during the last two years and who wasn't and there's little doubt that Norway has been the best in in Europe pretty much I think only Iceland and Luxembourg saw fewer deaths per million than Norway now you know one might have thought Sweden which was super liberal didn't shut down its schools um, didn't really have masks um, and just carried on Um, it did towards the sort of latter stages of the pandemic introduced a few restrictions but nothing like um, that which we saw across Europe you'd have thought oh gosh Sweden would have been you know really bad but actually no not really if you look at its excess deaths um, it um, was worse than Germany 
but uh, but much much better than most of the rest of Europe. I mean, it had um, just over half the deaths per million um, compared to the UK, and well under half the deaths recorded in in Europe's worst hit big countries, which were Spain, Italy, and uh, um, most of Eastern Europe. Uh, unfortunately, I mean, some spectacularly bad death rates in 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 countries notably bulgaria i think which tops tops the tables for it so you know so that that sort of no lockdown policy or lockdown light policy the swedes had there's a lot to to say for it and i think uh, if you look at the official report they they had a coronavirus commission um I won't attempt that in Swedish. Um, to to who looked at this and they they reported uh, last well February actually so two months ago, um, um, but sort of six weeks ago, um, and they said look overall it was the right policy that perhaps they could have locked down a bit quicker or had some sort of restrictions a bit quicker earlier on that they think they should have restricted travel that um, and. Um, prevented um large gatherings but uh, keeping schools open very much a good thing to do and certainly if you look at swedish health statistics compared to say the uk their sort of cancer referrals and all sorts of stuff like that are much much better than than anywhere where the uk is and i think the legacy of of covid for countries that did have lockdowns is going to be quite grim i think in terms of the 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 difficulty for the the health services face and trying to come back to it so i, th I think there's uh, um something to be said in terms of this you know having a far more nuanced and uh, um subtle approach to to lockdowns and i think ultimately the uk's problem was that it went into it the scientific um, advisor said oh no it's nothing to worry about let's just crack on um you know there's nothing we can do um and then they did a 180 degree about turn when we had uh um, was it professor lockdown neil ferguson's data came out said oh gosh we're going to kill half a million people in the uk if we don't do something and then they they changed complete course and they they locked down everything um and what unfortunately they carried on doing was i think that initial lockdown made sense they just carried on doing them then which and there's a good argument that none of those follow-up lockdowns made a lot of sense and i think we need to have a more nuanced um debate around this a more sensible level of debate about what works and what doesn't work um you know and i think that's going to happen in in a few years time because unfortunately Unfortunately, uh, probably mostly in the states where it's the US where it's become very politicized you've got the Democrats sort of pro lockdown pro mask and you've got the Republicans um, the polar opposite you just can't have a um, an intelligent discussion there without it be turning into some sort of political um, 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 sort of fight so um, I think in a few years time we, when we, we do need to have that and we need to have the medical establishment actually take on board it's not just about short term term um, survival rates although that's obviously a critical consideration but we have to take into account the overall impact on society and the economy um, and I think travel tourism and hospitality are uh, you know are a vital um, component of that discussion and should be involved in that 
Now we're going to head on to have a look at, as trailed previously, at uh, what's been going on in uh, the UK market, particularly if you want to find funds to do anything with your hotel. Um, and the interesting thing is that the uh, major mainstream lenders are still, frankly, rather busy looking after their, uh, their COVID loans, looking after their existing clients and nursing them out of uh, the pandemic. And that's left a slight vacuum in the market for those who want to get on with uh, bidding for new properties, uh, investing in their existing assets to get them uh, up up to speed, ready for the uh, the coming market resurgence. And so we've been speaking this week to um, a couple of the the kind of newer providers of uh, debt into the market. Uh, there are several others. Um, so we've been speaking particularly to uh, Topland and to Synergy Bank. Uh, we've spoken over the last few months with Oak North and some some others, um, and it's, what's interesting is how this market is evolving, and um, different niche bid niche lenders are, are working in their own part of the space. Um, but uh, these 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 upstarts, these newcomers, are are offering kind of uh, clarity. They're offering a very prompt decision and a very kind of transparent um, decision making process. Uh, so if you if you want to borrow some money, if you want to bid on a property and you need some capital to make that bid possible, then you can go to these guys and uh, fairly quickly get a decision uh, in terms of whether you can proceed or not, and if so, how much it's going to cost you. Um, Topland, quite an interesting niche player. They they like lending for up to two years. Um, they obviously, as 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 a business, have have been into hotels for many many years, and they bring that experience of the market into their decision-making process. Um, and uh, they've recently lent to 4C hotels who uh, who uh, successfully uh, bid to purchase a hotel in, in central London. And um, to be able to kind of have that, that clarity was made made the opportunity possible for 4C. Um, I was also speaking to Synergy Bank this week and uh, they like to kind of lend in the one to 30 million pound range, but uh, they're more of a kind of a broader based uh, challenger bank and are uh, looking to really uh, lend and then build longer term relationships with businesses in the hospitality space that are gonna come back to them for more later because they're taking on more assets and, and growing their business. So um, it's not all bad news. There is money out there and uh, there are people who are prepared to lend to you if you've got a decent story to tell. Yeah, and there's a view that uh, what's going to happen in a few years is that the traditional high street lenders are going to come back into the market. And as we've seen historically, um, that's been the case, they're going to come back into the market and start issuing funds again at lower rates. Um, and um, it'll be sort of return to business as usual. I'm not so sure. I think there's a bit of a structural shift going on in the debt market. So the trend of these uh, sort of certainly debt funds and the challenger banks, that was a trend that was going on pre-pandemic um, and that, that had been steadily growing and I think what has happened during the pandemic as as with so many things that trend has been accelerated that's that um, uh, 
that the ongoing mantra about covid being an accelerant rather than a change agent um, in itself and i think it's certainly accelerated changes within the debt market um, so how much it will go back to how things were i i don't know when you think you know these debt funds are established there as you you mentioned top land but there's a whole bunch of others uh, who, who have been out there um, creating these debt funds they've got the teams in place they're going to look to keep those teams fed um, as we come out of this i don't think this is necessarily just a short-term play i mean certainly the there's a market opportunity has arisen but i don't think this is necessarily just something which is in and then out uh, i think this could be a long-term thing and the other thing that i i i am going to keep a weather eye on is whether commercial mortgage-backed securities finally make uh, uh, their presence felt in the european market so cmbs has been talked about for a long while it's sort of made the odd little flurry um mainly in the uk um but i think you know it's a big fixture on the on the us scene um and i i just think the time is right for that to to make an appearance as we as we start getting into the recovery um it's interesting what you look at the the us cmbs market so i um looked at some data from um a company called trep a t e t r e p p and um they said that uh, the delinquency in uh, cmbs among hotels was nearly a quarter of all issuances um back in june 2020 but despite that um as we've got out of the pandemic or as we begin to look like we're getting out of the pandemic issuances has has continued and uh, you know it was 15 percent immediately pre-pandemic and they said in all of 2021 it was still almost 12 percent so it's still there's still demand and appetite for lodging um cmbs and i suspect as as things you know come back and it's starting looking at an even more robust market that that level of demand will will pick up again so i think that's one and i think we may see that jump across the atlantic and finally get a hold i mean you know one of the big things as a course has been the uh the the fragmentation in the european market but i think again here uh, um the the whole covid experience has been one of accelerating consolidation and i think that we've now got bigger players stronger players and they're going to be thinking well actually cmbs is a great route to some you know well priced now debt. we're going to move to our five star no star awards and i think andrew this week the no star award is 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 we're back to covid again yeah yeah well dear old china um we mentioned them in terms of their zero covid um disaster they're having at the moment and it's turning out to be not so zero um and um the lockdowns i think has gone across to shanghai much in the wider shanghai region now um the latest numbers out of str um they put out on the first of april showed occupancy in china is now below 37 yeah. percent which is ouch really um and it's it's looking there's no signs of it um looking like it's about to turn the corner so so um, it's a tough, I think it's going to be a tough year or two actually in China. Um, you know, aut autocratic governments don't have uh, a reputation for changing mm. course mm. very quickly. Well, cheer us up with the five star board then instead. So the five star this week is going to go to some 
data coming out of a new outfit called Lodging Analytics Research and Consulting. And they're a bunch of Wall Street analysts and others. Um, they, they were looking at uh, some stuff. This is uh, Morgan Stanley um, reported on, on their research. Um, and they were looking at what's going on in the US convention market. And they were saying, um, it's coming back much faster than anticipated. So we're only at the moment um, 16% below 2019 levels. And according to Lark, they're saying um, 2023 and 2024 are already ahead of um, uh, where they were, where demand was in 2019. So I think this is fantastic news and just shows how resilient this business is and also speaks to our point we've been saying which is the recovery is going to be much quicker and faster and stronger than most people are anticipating. And on that very positive piece of news we'll say goodbye for now. <laughs>